Our series is based on a book uh, by a fellow named Dr. Tim Keller, and uh, he wrote a book called Every Good Endeavor. We still have a few copies of that book at the Care Center, and so if you'd like to buy one, and uh, they're still there, they're still available, you can do that after the service. But the chapters that Pastor Tyler and I were given to talk about uh, have to do with the problems that we experience at work. Uh, Pastor Tyler spoke about that last week. I'm gonna carry that on a little bit this week. Uh, Tyler talked about work sometimes being fruitless. And that is to say that we're not always successful at what we do. Our jobs are not always productive. But as Tyler mentioned, even when they're not fruitful, we can know that God is still working. I love the way that Tyler spun that message. It was brilliant. The fruit that God is producing has more to do with our character than it does with the results in our actual uh, jobs. God is always producing his vision, his values in our lives. Amen. And so that's what it is to be fruitful fruitful, even when our jobs sometimes feel fruitless. I am also addressing problems this morning. I could just feel a few of you go, oh, Peter, don't address the problems. Talk about the solutions. We're going to get there. I'm going to try so hard this morning not to get you depressed, but we are going to land in a good place this morning, a place of hope and joy and encouragement. Let's try to make this good. But what I want to do is I want to address anyone who feels like their job is pointless. Sometimes we go through that. We feel like, you know, what's the point of all this? I don't want to be here. Is what I'm doing really making a difference? If I could try to fix your focus this morning, uh, we're going to glance at a few problems, but more importantly, again, talk about some solutions. So uh, I'm just going to ask for the Holy Spirit's help right now to communicate well. And so, God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you, God, through our work. That is our heart's desire, that you would receive praise and glory and honor through our jobs. God, we give you all of that on Sunday mornings, but we want to give you that in our work. And so help us, Holy Spirit. God, for anybody who's wrestling with any of the content in this message, the way that you're moving upon them, help them, Holy Spirit, to receive, to apply, to go home different today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. One of the things that Pastor Tyler talked about was the reality that we live in a fallen world. We talk about this a lot in church. We live in a fallen world. Why are we bringing that up again? That reality, it clarifies why we experience problems. Um, I always use an acronym when I talk about sin. This really helped me a few years ago when I heard this. Uh, but all of us have a self-indulgent nature. This is what sin is. It's a self-indulgent nature, a sin nature that we all carry. And because we carry that, it produces trouble in our lives, in our jobs. But from the beginning, what was sin? Sin was that inclination to live separately from God. God, we don't need you. God, we can do better on our own. But there came a frustration, and again, Tyler talked about this, a lack of success because of that. Genesis describes working as hard as you can, but only producing thorns and thistles. That's a picture. Work as hard as you can, but only producing thorns and thistles. It's a picture of life in a world where work is separated from God. There's another book in the Bible, and it's going to be the main context for my message this morning, and it's the book of Ecclesiastes. And it uses a different picture to describe trouble that we experience because of sin. Uh, the writer talks about this analogy of life under the sun. You read Ecclesiastes, you're going to continue here 
to hear him say that. We live life under the sun. It's meaningless, it's pointless. When I say life under the sun, some of you got a little excited because we're winter people and you're like, oh yeah, life under the sun? It's not talking about life under a beautiful, warm, holiday sun, but it's describing something troubling. Life under the sun refers to an existence that is cut off from any greater eternal reality. That's what the writer is talking about. So never mind thorns and thistles in Genesis, I wouldn't recommend you read Ecclesiastes, although how could you not recommend you read the Bible? But uh, everything that we experience under the sun in the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, a chasing after the wind, it's pointless. Such an inspiring book. Wow, awesome. Ecclesiastes was written by one of the most affluent men of all time. His name was Solomon. And what he did was he wrote a story about himself. Ecclesiastes is kind of a biography. He talks about his experiences, but then really cool that he does this. He takes a big step back from them and he evaluates his experiences and says, hey, this is what people can learn. Have you ever met somebody who could not learn from being told what to do? They had to learn through trying everything for themselves. Some of you are like, yeah, I got a kid like that. I got a friend like that, right? Don't touch the thistle. It's sharp. They just got to touch it. Got to run through it and bare feet. Let's go. Uh, Don't go out in the blazing sun without sunscreen. You'll burn. And they got to peel. They just run out there without sunscreen. That's Solomon. Solomon wrote an entire book telling us what to do, not to do, based on everything that he did. That's what Solomon did. And it's amazing that God redeemed his story. And I think there's a message in that already, because if that's been your life, God can redeem your story. He can make it better. He's a reconciling, redemptive God. Hallelujah. Solomon tries to find meaning only in what can be found in the confines of this world. And so he presses in as hard as he can into things like achievement, pleasure, and learning, doing it all, craving what the world had to offer. None of it gave him satisfaction. I want you to check out this next slide. Tim Keller, in his book, summarizes Ecclesiastes, and he says, nothing within this world is sufficient basis for a meaningful life here. If we base our lives on work and achievement, on love and pleasure, or on knowledge and learning, our existence becomes anxious and fragile because circumstances in life are always threatening the very foundation of our lives. Death inevitably strips us of everything we hold dear. This next part's important. Ecclesiastes is an argument that an existential dependence on a gracious creator God, not only abstract belief, is a precondition for an unshakable, purposeful life. That last line is a wow statement. It's a boom. Awesome, right? Existential dependence on a gracious creator God is a precondition for an unshakable, purposeful life. To skip a stone across uh, Ecclesiastes, the first thing Solomon does, we're just going to quickly talk about it before we talk about work, is he tries to accumulate knowledge. He tries to find purpose in learning. He saw his opportunity to accumulate knowledge didn't work out. He was disappointed. Solomon tries to find meaning in love and pleasure. That's another theme that we see in this book. Uh, But even with more women 
more luxuries, more garden palaces than any other person in history, Solomon finds himself unsatisfied. And then moving to the point of today, we're in a series called God at Work. Solomon pursues hard work and achievement. And in the end, he says it's not good. There's a foundational scripture in the book. It's in chapter 2 and verse 17. And Solomon says, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me, all of it meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Let's just pause here right now. You're all feeling so good right now, aren't you? You're all like, yeah, pastor, keep on going. This is awesome. Not really. (laughs) Even for me, I'm like, what a bummer. What a bummer. Solomon, you're like the most depressed guy ever. We would never have him as a guest speaker. We wouldn't do that to you, church family. He just wouldn't come. But to put a positive spin on Ecclesiastes, hey, there's good news. This is redemptive. This is good. You and I are left knowing what our focus should be, what our focus should not be. We don't have to do the same things. We can have a better story. Hallelujah. We can learn so much, even from a book like Ecclesiastes. And so let's look at some points right now. What is the first lesson? How can we do different? This is a main theme that we see in this book. Solomon touches repeatedly on this, and it's this sense that work isn't always fulfilling. Anybody feel that? Work isn't always fulfilling. Now, before we get too carried away on the negative, for some of you, man, work is awesome. It's amazing, it's great, it's fantastic. Maybe you're one of those people that you wake up and you're excited to get up and to get on with it. I'll be honest with you, this is a hard point for me to preach because I love my job. I love going to work. Some employees love going to the office. They're eager to get in the truck, to get to the job site. Hey, some stay-at-home moms, let's be honest, that's work. that they enjoy getting up to spend time with their kids, to cook dinner, to do laundry. Yeah, seriously, they do. But the point is, is that work isn't always fulfilling. If you're in the room today and you're living with that belief and that expectation that you're going to get filled up and you're going to feel good about it all the time, it's a false illusion, Because work was never meant to fill us completely. God is the one who fills us completely and satisfies our deepest needs. Um, As I was considering this point, I was thinking about something called the Monday blues. So I I looked it up. What's the Monday blues? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, The Monday blues are this sense of being annoyed at having to go back to work after the weekend. This is a real thing. You know that they've even come up with the most depressed day of the year? Apparently it's in the uh, the month of January. People are most depressed then. Uh, Christmas is over. But maybe it's Monday morning and you slept in and you're fumbling to get your clothes, to make breakfast, to brush your teeth, to get out the door, and the entire time you slept through your alarm and you're like, oh, you're grumpy. Your spouse better not say hi to you. It's the Monday blues. But beneath that, maybe you feel like, man, work is a challenge. Maybe that there's no point to it. And you ask yourself, is this helping anyone? 
for some people, and I talked to somebody recently about this, they feel like their job falls short of what they really want. And so this person that I was talking with, and I was like, mm, it's kind of my message. They felt like there was unreached potential and unfulfilled dreams in their job. How many of you know that Solomon had the Monday blues? Solomon had a lot of terrible Mondays. He said things like, all my work is grief and pain. This is a, a, a few verses all together in Ecclesiastes. At night, my mind doesn't rest. My eyes are not content with my wealth. There is no end to my toil. For whom am I toiling and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? And so Solomon identifies work being a challenge, being worried about it, not feeling satisfied, feeling underappreciated. We see this in uh, this book. Now to touch on a solution, a real practical solution first of all, Tim Keller makes the point that maybe part of that disenchantment comes because there are so many people in our culture that are not doing things that they're especially good at, gifted to do, and things that they're passionate about. I thought this was really, really interesting. I wanted to mention this to you. He references a study that was done with a whole bunch of university students that had graduated and started work. And after surveying a bunch of them, it was discovered that most of them did not choose work that fit their abilities and their talents, but rather they chose jobs that fit their idea of how they could boost their self-image. That is so interesting about Canada, about nations like the United States. The consensus was that many people see the process of career selection more as a choice of identity, wow, than a consideration of how their gifts and their passions are best used. And so in that study, it kind of came out that things like a title and a sal big salary were seen as things that bring ultimate fulfillment. How many of you would say, uh-uh? Not true. Yeah, we got a few hands. Not true. Now, I'm not saying that choosing work as a means of self-promotion is something that we deal with here. You are amazing people, fantastic people. It's likely not true. But the point stands that there should be something in your job that you are good at, something that you're passionate about, something you enjoy even just a little bit. There should be incentive and motivation that keeps you going. If you don't have that, I just want to say maybe it's okay to look for something else. Sometimes it's a process. I've heard that the average person changes careers seven times. Probably not all good reasons, but sometimes there are good reasons. Um, I've seen it before where people leave a high-paying job, and they do something they love, and they come alive. Maybe they decline something that seems prestigious because they know it's not the point. We gotta be led by the Holy Spirit in these things. Uh, for some, they position their work so that they can be closer to other things that they love. Maybe they don't get a rush from their job, as in, this is awesome, this is amazing, I love what I do, but they choose work that allows them to be closer to home uh, and to their families. And so they take a pay cut, they shorten their commute, maybe they lose a promotion, all because of the revelation that life is more than a work identity. Anybody figured that out? Life is more than a work identity. As I was uh, writing this point, thinking about an example of this, I began thinking about my mother-in-law, Chantel's mom. Chantel's mom has been in Mournville most of her life, almost all of her life, and uh, a few of you might know her. She works at the Service Credit Union on Main Street. And uh, get this, she's been at that bank for 37 years. 
37 years. Most of that time, she has worked in the same office, doing the same position. She hasn't even moved her desk. I'm like, come on, mom, you got to renovate. Turn that thing around. You know, you need some change. (laughs) But guess what? She is so good at what she does. People will go out of the way. They'll wait longer so that they can see her. Numerous times, I remember her telling us this, she's been offered promotions, management positions, uh, but she's declined them because she feels full. She feels good. She feels passionate about not working in upper management, but about just helping families get a mortgage, helping young people get a loan, giving advice to everyday people. And it's not to say that she couldn't have done more. She's a smart lady. She's capable. But she chose to be in a place that made her, uh, her family happy, that made her happy, and she loves it. And that's just one example. Some of you might be called to climb the corporate ladder, to achieve a high position, but it's okay if you're not. We're not all called to that, and that's okay. Find something that you like to do, even just a little bit, hopefully it's something you're good at, and then be thankful. Be thankful for it. Uh, The Bible says in 1 Timothy, it says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And I loved this translation that I put on your slide. It says, godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. What kind of riches are we focusing on in this life? Because godliness with contentment, there's a richness in that. There's a wealth in that. Hallelujah. God satisfies the deepest desires of our hearts at work when we choose to be thankful. And so... Just as a challenge this morning, if you find yourself striving, stirring, anxious for more, you know, ask God, where is that coming from? Maybe he is calling you to change it up, to do something different, or maybe the Holy Spirit is moving upon you and saying, don't make this nine to five reality more than what it's supposed to be. Fulfillment comes from our position in Christ and not our position at work. Amen? Amen. Come on. Two positive verses in the book of Ecclesiastes. Awesome. Chapter 2 and verse 24, it says, A person can do nothing better than to find satisfaction in their toil. In as much as you can, enjoy it. Be thankful for it. Chapter 4 and verse 6, Better one handful with tranquility than two with toil and a chasing after the wind. And so it's better to have only what you need with peace and with quietness than it is to have more than you need with anxiety and restlessness. Can I get an amen? Amen. God might be speaking to you today about one handful living. I was just meditating on that. One handful living comes with being thankful for what you have without grasping for what you don't have. What else does Solomon teach us about work? Ah, yeah, it's not always fulfilling. That definitely comes out. Uh, But next we see that work isn't always fair. We live in a fallen world. Sin has an effect in our jobs, in our relationships. Some of you might relate to working in an environment where people complain. Anybody? No, don't put up your hands. Please don't. Um, But we often hear that the lunchroom is sometimes not a good place to be because it's where people talk negatively about their boss or they criticize coworkers. People hover around the coffee and they gossip about what's wrong with the company. There's a frustration that bosses care more about productivity than they do about their people. 
And bosses will say that employees care more about their benefits than they do about serving and honoring leadership. But altogether, what this does is this creates this sense of injustice. There's a sense of unfairness that we grapple with in the midst of our work environments. Ecclesiastes hints at this. Solomon says, I saw that all toil and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. Chapter 5. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised. For one official is eyed higher by a higher one, and over them both are others still higher. Hmm. One commentator of Ecclesiastes said this. He said, justice is lost between the tiers of the hierarchy. Justice is lost between the tiers of hierarchy. We're going to spin this positively. But I understand that some jobs are great. If you have that kind of a job, wow, Awesome. Bosses care about their employees. Employees respect their managers. But truthfully, why did I start off talking about sin and the fallen world? Truthfully, there are going to be nuances of injustice no matter where you work. It's tempting for people to move from job to job, place to place, longing for fairness. But I'll say it again. We're sinful. We are. And if we can be honest right now, we're sinful as Christians sometimes, and we can be selfish. And uh, I've, I've had more than a few meetings as a pastor with somebody who comes in and they're disenchanted and they're angry and, oh, my job, I don't like it, and these people and those people, and oh, it's not fun. And I always seem to remind them that wherever you go, you take you with you. Has anybody ever discovered that? That wherever you go, you take you? And so sometimes we like to point the finger at everybody else. It must be somebody else's problem. But have you ever had it where the Holy Spirit nudges you and says, hey, are you part of the problem? Are you contributing to this, to the unfairness, the injustice that is sometimes in your job? We all work for some kind of a reward, and that's not a bad thing. Because we need a salary to live. We need things like sick days and benefits. Yeah, I get that. But sometimes we live only for the benefits and the rewards of work. And we're seeing that more and more and more in our society today that people go to work and they're always asking the question, what can I get out of it? What can I get out of it? What, what's in it for me? But if I could try to flip your thinking this morning, because we're in church, I would say that going to work only for what you can get out of it, it's not God's heart. It is not God's heart. Tim Keller says that when you do that, you'll begin to have a notion that other people owe you something for your pains. You'll begin to think that you have a claim on others. You'll begin to bargain for reward, to angle for applause, and to harbor a grievance if you're not appreciated. Hmm. It's the most peculiar thing that we see in Scripture, and this just gets me every time. It's like, wow. But the Bible tells us to do exactly the opposite of what feels most natural. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, our first thought is, I've got to fight for myself. I've got to get ahead. I can't let anyone take advantage of me. And so people go into work environments, and they're a bit guarded. But the Bible says, lose your life to gain your life. The Bible says, die to self to live for God. 
And the Bible says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. These are the kinds of scriptures that I was meditating on this week. And so to look at this different, when your focus becomes giving, serving, loving people at work, God might just change the heart of that boss. God might just change the heart of that coworker, and he might just give them a heart to bless you in return. What does God say when it's just not fair? God says, love the people you work with, not because you feel like it, but because doing that will bring the best out in them. Serve them. You'll come alive. You'll make them come alive too. This next verse is so good. Colossians 3, 23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Hallelujah. Come on. Something extraordinary happens when we turn our focus away from what people can do for us and we instead focus on what God has done for us and what he will do for us. Turn your focus away from what people can do for you and your attention onto what God has done and will do for you. I think some of you will be able to relate to this next one. Uh, again, we're talking about problems. Sometimes we get problems at our, at our work. But has anyone figured out that work isn't always fun? <laughs> not always fulfilling or fair, but not always fun either. Um, I tried this the other day. I was like, I'm going to have an experiment with this Sunday message that I'm preparing. And so I sat down with my wife at the end of a long day of changing diapers and doing laundry and sweeping and mopping. And I said, Chantel, um, is raising kids always fun? I'm surprised I didn't get a shoe thrown at, <laughs> thrown at me. But she didn't even answer the question. She kind of just looked at me and scowled. and <laughs> Right? Because although Chantel knows that our children are blessings, she's sometimes frustrated by our blessings. She's frustrated by our blessings. Going beyond those of you who work as stay-at-home moms or dads, um, another example is people who work in factories. Uh, last week I was in Bonacord, and there's a lady there. I'm going to talk about the dog food factory later, but she works at the dog food factory. And she was like, come on, pastor, when I was preaching this. But I was reading about these people, different factory, uh, and they're tasked every single day with putting five nuts on wheel lugs every 30 seconds. Can you imagine? Eight hours a day, five days a week, almost every week of the year, putting nuts onto wheels in a factory read a story about a man named Mike. And uh, Mike worked in a manufacturing job where he put steel parts uh, up onto a rack and those steel parts were lowered down into a vat of paint that bonded to their surfaces and then he would raise the rack out, take the steel off, and then he would do it again. And that's all he did. Every day, all day, most weeks of the year, put the steel on, lower it into the paint, take it out, and then do it again. I mentioned my mother-in-law. She does uh, banking in a small town. There's, there's, it can be fun. You get to know people. You build relationship. But I was thinking about people that work as high-ranking executives. Maybe they make more money, but they're dealing with tasks that are not fun. How fun could it be bundling thousands of subprime loans and buying and selling them in blocks of capital? You ask somebody, what do you do for a living? And they don't really want to tell you because it just doesn't feel important. It doesn't feel significant. It's not fun. 
But again, let's talk about a solution. Uh, in Tim Keller's book, he references this lady. Her name is Dorothy Sayers. And uh, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. I thought this was so good. But she talks about this concept called serving the work. Serving the work. And I thought, oh man, we need to meditate on serving the work. This kind of draws us back to our tendency to work in such a way as to be rewarded. That was my previous point. But we work in such a way as to hope that it's going to be entertaining, it's going to be fun. But work, in and of itself, it's not always rewarding, it's not always fun. What Dorothy Sayers points out about serving the work, she says this, if your mind is set upon serving the work, then you know that you have nothing to look for. The only reward the work can give you is the satisfaction of beholding its perfection. The work takes all and it gives nothing but itself, and to serve the work is a labor of pure love. Wow. And so let's talk about the dog food factory a little bit. Because uh, that lady in Bonacord, she's not the only one that's worked there before. But um, for those of you who have known me for a long time, my brother Mark and I worked at the pet food factory in town uh, prior to ministry for me. If you ever smell that awful smell in Morinville, maybe you're new to Morinville. Yeah, there's a dog food factory. You ever walk outside your door, it's a beautiful summer morning, and you go, is that salmon? It, is that raw chicken? Yes, that is. It's dog food. Uh, Morinville has one of the biggest ones in Western Canada. It's called Champion Pet Foods. Champion Pet Foods. And my brother Mark and I, we used to say, Edmonton is the city of champions, but Morinville smells like champions. Eh? Mournville smells like champions, right? Now, to be honest, uh, it, it wasn't a fun job. It wasn't. Most of the time, Mark and I worked on an assembly line next to huge machines that would bag the food, drop it down onto a conveyor belt, move it down towards a pallet, and we would stack pallets of food. Uh, sometimes 12-hour shifts, sometimes night shifts, stacking bags of food. And I remember there were people there that by nature of their language and their attitude, oh man, they hated champion pet food. Some of you know what I'm talking about. People that their attitude is just sour. And you're like, wow, why do you work here? But my brother Mark and I, although we weren't perfect either, we weren't. After some time, we got to a point where we decided, I think it would be better if we tried to make the best of it. <laughs> working in the pet food factory. And so our years spent there became about trying to get as much done as we could every single day. Uh, it's hard to imagine stacking dog food as something amazing, but I remember getting up and actually feeling excited. How many pallets of food are we going to stack today? Wow! Can, Mark, can we stack 25 pallets today? We would set goals and we'd get excited about it. We'd sweep the factory and see how clean can we keep the factory floor. This is how my OCD set in. How clean can we keep it? Somebody would drop a piece of kibble and, hey, pick that up! Right? But we would get sent to the basement and uh, the basement of the dog food factory is kind of like a dungeon. Um, but we'd get sent down there to shovel out all the dog food favored sludge that piled up down there. It was just disgusting sludge in that basement. And it would just be me, Mark, and the mice uh, in the basement. 
Mice scurrying around, we're filling up these filthy tubs full of dog food sludge, and we're carrying them up the stairs and out. But we got to a point where we were like, this is so bad, it's actually become funny. This is so bad that this is hilarious. And we would laugh at each other and we'd throw the sludge at each other and we'd kill a mouse and we'd throw mice at each other and we'd, we would have fun at the dog food plant. <laughs> and church, although the management, they appreciated Mark and I because we wouldn't say no to anything. We would do anything because we were just like, let's do it with a big smile on our faces. Um, the biggest thing was that we were serving the work. We, we were serving the work. We were getting joy. We were getting excitement out of doing the best job that we could. And we would stand back from all the pallets that we stacked and from all the sludge that we shoveled, and we would say, wow, look at what we did this 12-hour shift. We are filthy. It's awesome. And I just say that to say, listen, no matter how mundane or boring your job is, God can add a spark of joy if your focus is to do it willingly and to do it well. Do it willingly, do it well. Amen? Hallelujah. One more thought I want to share with you, and then we're going to take communion in a couple minutes. But this last one could actually be a positive or a negative, depending on how you look at it. Solomon meant it as a negative, but for those of you who are joined with Christ, this can be a source of hope. How many of you know that work won't last forever? Work won't last forever. Somebody said, yay, as soon as I said that. <laughs> Some of you don't mind that thought. You're like, thank God, everything can burn when I'm gone. It won't matter. I'll be enjoying Jesus. And that's the perspective of someone who knows this world is not their home. There's more coming. It's better than any achievement that we could hold on to. But again, we're addressing the problems. That's what Tim Keller does in his book. Um, for some, the thought of everything that they've worked for being forgotten and ground to dust is the most terrible thought they could ever have. Really? You mean I'm going to lose all this? What? Ecclesiastes says, I hated all the things I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruits of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. And then he says, this too is meaningless. Tim Keller says, whether quickly or slowly, all the results of our toil will be wiped away by history. How do you feel as I'm saying this? The person who takes the business after you or who picks up the cause or organization after you, they may undo everything that you have done. All work, even the most historic, will eventually be forgotten and its impact totally neutralized. Nobody's crying yet. <laughs> um, after the service in Bonacord last week, I was chatting with somebody and this was the point that stood out to him the most. And he told me this story. He said, Peter, in my job, we had a problem. And I was asked to come up with a solution. And so I created a system. And I went to great lengths. I actually worked on it for three years. And I did an excellent job. And then one day, I found out that the company was sending in a new manager. Sent in a new manager. And in a matter of two weeks, everything that I had spent three years working on was done. He did away with all of it. He did away with the system. He did away with the solution. What had taken me years was gone instantly. And I was 
just looking at his face as he was telling me this story, and it wasn't bitter, it wasn't grudging, it wasn't revengeful, it wasn't, you know, you, you see people like that in work environments, but he had joy. He said it with a smile on his face and a twinkle in his eye, and he was like, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. He knew that it didn't really matter. He still works there. He mentions that there's a ton of office politics and problems, but he's faithful, and he continues to serve. Hallelujah. Holly's already up here. But I want to ask you, aren't you glad that your hope and security is not in this world? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that this world is not your home? Some of you might be watching people in your neighborhood, maybe neighbors, friends, even family members, and they're frantically trying to make a name for themselves, to build bigger things. Uh, maybe you know somebody and they're just moving from job to job, trying to make more, to do more, to feel better. But all the while for you, there's a skip in your step. There's a song in your heart because your identity is not tied to your work. Your identity is in Christ. Amen? What's the point of work? I took a long time getting here today. My message is called The Point of Work. Solomon says one handful with tranquility is better than two. He says that a person can do nothing better than to find satisfaction in their toil. Tomorrow's Monday. <laughs> There's no Monday blues for the Father's house, church. Do your best to enjoy your job. Be thankful for your job. Work as hard as you can to succeed at it. But let's keep work in perspective. It's not our everything. Jesus is our everything. He satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts. We give him all the praise. We give him all the glory this morning. We're gonna take communion right now. But while we do that, I want you to keep in mind that Jesus toiled for you. Jesus toiled for you on the cross. He pressed on so that we could experience true rest for our souls. Amen? When you go to work, don't strive, don't struggle, don't take it as something painful and pointless. God is the only one who can satisfy that. And communion is an opportunity to thank God for that satisfaction. And so in just a couple minutes, as you take the bread, as you drink the juice, you thank Jesus for dying for your sins on the cross. Thank him for forgiveness. Ask him to strengthen you and to fill you with his Holy Spirit. One more thought that I had about Ecclesiastes. It talks about life under the sun as being disconnected from a greater eternal reality. But you and I are not under the sun, S-U-N. We are under the S-O-N. We are under the S-O-N. We are under Christ. And there is no greater connection. There is no greater satisfaction. There is no greater power. Yes, life under the sun in this world will leave us feeling empty. It can feel meaningless. But if you are under the sun, if you are under Christ, there is no better place to be. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stretch out your hands? We're going to pray right now. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, this world is not our home. This life is but a breath. 
Lord, we thank you for our work. We want it to be an opportunity to worship, but God, we're gonna keep you on the throne this morning. We're gonna keep you first this morning. God, we thank you that ultimate fulfillment, that ultimate uh, joy and fun and fairness, uh, God, something that's gonna last forever, it comes through Christ. It doesn't come from our nine to five reality. It doesn't come from our job. And so God, we place that aside and we say yes to your goodness, to your love, to your forgiveness, to your plans and your purposes. You are so good. What's the point of work but to give you all the glory through it? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And why don't you stand up? We're gonna take communion. There are tables uh, here at the front and there are tables at the back of the room. Did you want to share? Yeah, I do want to share one thing. Just hang on where you're at for a second. Come here, Peter. What a great message. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. But I have to do something and uh, I want you to understand why I need to do it. Uh, when Peter worked for Champion Pet Foods, which we mentioned on this video, that was many years ago. It's under new management now, and some of the things that were probably a reality when he was working there have been utterly changed and transformed. <laughs> I, I feel necessary to say that because I don't want somebody to come up and saying, well, man, holy smokes, that's scary what you were saying there. It's a totally new company right now. So we love Champion Pet Foods sure here at Bourneville sure and the Father's House Church, amen. <laughs> So I just wanted to say that before we have communion. <laughs> right. If anyone's harboring bitterness towards champion pet foods, take that to the Lord before you take communion. <laughs> it's awesome. But we're going to take communion right now and just do it with joy in your heart. God is so good. And just thank him again for that satisfaction.